Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Welcome to part five of Forgotten Virtues. Thank you so much for sticking out uh, this series. Again, I know it's a little bit longer than normal, but uh, we are really, really excited about this series, talking about big subjects like purity and patience and integrity, things that uh, ultimately at the end of the day, as Christ followers, we really, really want to be known for. Um, In terms of today, I am very, very excited, and I'll tell you why. These subjects that we've been talking about have been uh, subjects that we are, we're excited about them and we enjoy them. And there are certain subjects that you enjoy teaching because you know people need to hear them. And there are certain subjects that you enjoy teaching because you just geek out about them. You guys ever, are there any of you like geek out about stuff? Like you're just excited. Like I know, I know Pastor Todd, if you get him talking about golf, I had to interrupt a conversation this morning. We're about to start service. Hey, Pastor, I need you. And he's in the middle of talking about basketball right? If you get him running on about all those things, he just keeps going and going and going. This morning, this topic is what I geek out about. But before I tell you what the topic is, how many of you guys have your marshmallow still? Okay, be completely honest. How many of you ate your marshmallow? Oh, I already got, <laughs> I already got people back here ate their marshmallow. This sermon's going to do nothing for you. It's already over. Can't do anything about it. But the subject we're going to talk about this morning is the subject of self-discipline or self-control, temperance, if you will. Now, she said, I, heard, I heard an uh-oh. I like that. She said, uh-oh. Maybe I'm going to people walk out. No, I don't want to talk about this. Like, Delana, you geek out about that? Yes, I do. And I know it sounds strange. I know it does. Um, many of you might know that actually in my past life, before I uh, got into full-time ministry, I was actually a personal trainer. Um, for about 10 years, I was uh, in fitness, personal trainer. So here's the thing. My job was to help people become more disciplined, specifically in the area of health and, and diet, but I enjoyed it. As a matter of fact, I enjoyed it so much. You know what the best parts was about, about training? Is you got to penalize people for not being self-disciplined. Oh, it was great. Like, I, I got to get up in people's business. Hey, did you, did you do your workout? No, I didn't do it. Hey, did, are, 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 did, how, was your, how was your diet over the weekend? Well, you know, it was... Yes, but I love, I heard perfect back there. Your diet was perfect over the weekend. Yeah, now I enjoy the topic of self-discipline and self-control. And I know that sounds strange. Just to let you know how deep the rabbit hole goes, um, Pastor Todd and I have, have a wall that separates us and it's a very, very thin wall. So we're always constantly wandering into each other's offices because, you know, it's not like he's down the hall or anything. And what will happen is he'll have a stack of books on his desk and uh, I'll always just peek at what he's reading or what he's studying for the time. And I'll just be, oh, what are you reading? Tell me about that. What's this one about? What's this one about? Can I have this one? I'm taking this one. You know? And he'll do the same to me. He'll come into my office and he'll steal a stack of books, whatever I'm reading or studying at the time. And he goes, oh, what's this one? What's this one about? What's this one about? Not too long ago, he comes into my office and he grabs one of the books. He goes, what, what, what's this book right here? Oh, oh, pastor, you know what? That's a great book right there. It's called The Checklist Manifesto. He's like, the checklist manifesto. What's that about? Oh, Pastor, it's so good. It's all about checklists. It's an entire book. Or did you read it? Has somebody read it over here? It's, oh, you read it over here? <laughs> it's all about checklists. He's like, you got an entire book about checklists. I'm like, yeah, but you don't understand. It's all about how to optimize checklists. And when you integrate a checklist into a certain arena, how it improves the output of everything. He's like, <laughs> she's judging me over here. You got a book about checklists, Leno? 
I'm like, yeah, you want to read it? He's like, no, I don't want to read that. <laughs> but here's the thing. I recognized I'm weird, right? Like, I get that. I get that. Is there, did you amen me because I said I was weird? <laughs> Is there anyone out there who's weird like me? Like, you enjoy the topic of self-control. I got three or four people over here, so you guys are weird with me. All right, then you guys will love today's message. Now, for the rest of us who aren't weird, all right, you will also love today's message, and here's why. No matter what end of the spectrum you're on, whether you're reading books about checklists or whether you struggled getting out of bed this morning because you didn't really want to be at church, no matter what end of the spectrum that you're on, here's what I know. We all need self-discipline because at the end of the day, self, I'm sorry, at the end of the day, um, talent only takes us so far. At the end of the day, opportunity only takes us so far. At the end of the day, um, physical abilities only take us so far. Know-how only takes us so far. Because see, here's the thing. I know that God has given each and one of us as an individual a certain amount of abilities, a certain amount of opportunities. And self-discipline maximizes our potential and makes the most of what we've been given. Self-discipline maximizes our potential and makes the most of all that all of us have been given. This is why we need self-discipline. Now, for purposes of today, here's how we're going to define self-discipline. Are you ready? Here's how we're going to define self-discipline. Self-discipline is doing the things you know you should be doing even when you don't feel like doing them. Self-control is doing the things you know you should be doing even when you don't feel like doing them. Now, I love this definition because it takes away all of our excuses. Because each one of us knows that particular area. Because we all have that area. I have that area. I know I do. Even though I enjoy this subject, even though I love this subject, I know I have an area where I don't feel like doing something, and I know I absolutely need to be doing it. So this morning, we're going to take a look at a gentleman who... um, like you and like me, was given a certain amount at the beginning of this life. He was blessed specifically by God. And he had a different blessing than you guys probably have or that I have. His name was Samson. And at the beginning of his life, he was blessed with incredible strength. Here's the problem. Samson finds himself with this incredible blessing at the beginning of his life. And then by the end of his life, he finds himself in prison grinding grain. At the beginning of life, he's given this incredible, incredible blessing. At the end of his life, it was as if he completely wasted it. Why? Because he lacked self-discipline. He lacked self-control. And he lacked temperance, knowing when to hold back when you should hold back. And here's what I want for you. I know you guys have been given a blessing. There is a reason that you are here. You guys have hopes and dreams. You guys have things that you believe God has put on your heart. And I want you to see those things through. At the end of your life, I will have wanted you to look back at your life and think, I accomplished what God set me out to accomplish. But it's going to require some self-discipline. Let's go ahead and pick up the story of Samson. You see, Samson's parents, um, at the beginning of his life, they ultimately couldn't have children. And an angel of the Lord comes to Samson's parents and says, hey, I got something for you. You are going to have a child, and he is going to be special. 
He's going to be given special abilities, and he's going to have a purpose on his life. As a matter of fact, this is how his life starts in Judges 13, 24. When her son was born, this is Samson's mom, when her son was born, she named him Samson, and the Lord blessed him as he grew up. There was a special purpose on Samson's life. And because Samson was supposed to be set apart, he took something called the Nazarite vow. I don't expect many in here, but uh, how many of you have ever heard of this story before and you've heard the Nazarite vow? If you don't know what the Nazarite vow is, here's what it is. At the end of the day, you were supposed to swear off alcohol and wine, you wouldn't cut your hair, and you wouldn't touch anything dead, which I don't know why you'd want to do that anyway in the first place. But because Samson was given a special gift from God, he was given incredible strength, he was given incredible abilities, and these abilities were tied to his Nazarite vow. More specifically, they were tied to his hair. I'm sure some of you have heard kids when you hear a story about Samson's hair, or even in songs, there's songs written about Samson's hair. This is where it comes from. Now, the Nazarite vow was typically taken for 30 to 90 days, and all of us in here hear the Nazarite vow like, yeah, that sounds, that sounds a little rough, specifically the wine and alcohol part. I could do that for maybe 30, 90 days. Well, Samson was supposed to do it for his entire life. But in addition to this blessing, he also had a bad habit. You see, Samson kept finding himself where he wasn't supposed to be, and he knew he wasn't supposed to be there. The problem was he lacked the discipline. He lacked the self-control to keep himself from going. So we find Samson, he is completely um, enamored and captivated by Philistine culture. More specifically, we find Samson captivated by Philistine women. Now, just so you know, as part of his Nazarite vow, it was forbidden for Samson to marry a Philistine. It was forbidden for him to even be in Philistine territory. This was where he was not supposed to be. Now, just so you know, this had nothing to do with race or anything like that. This was to set the Israelites apart. This was to set God's people apart, um, more specifically because the Philistines dominated Israel, and that wasn't a part of God's plan. And Samson was supposed to do that, but he found himself captivated by Philistine culture. And this is where we pick up the story of Samson in Judges 14.1. One day, Samson was in Tinma. Now, just so you know, Tinma is deep into Philistine territory. We find him early on where he's not supposed to be. And he knew he wasn't supposed to be there. From the beginning of his life, he was separated. From the beginning of his life, he knew he had a special calling. From the beginning of his life, he knew what he wasn't supposed to do. But he lacked the self-control. We already find him here getting in trouble. One of the Philistine women caught his eye. When he returned home, he told his father and mother, a young Philistine woman in Tinma caught my eye. I want to marry her. Go get her for me. And his father and mother, now again, they know the blessing that Samson has on his life. They know what he's supposed to accomplish. They know what he's supposed to do. And so they try to talk him out of it. Isn't there even one woman in our tribe or among all the Israelites you could marry? Samson, isn't there just one in, in all of you? have all of this to choose from, and you go to choose the very thing that you're not supposed to have. They're trying to talk him down. They're trying to talk him out of it. Isn't there in someone in our tribe or among all the Israelites you can marry, they ask. 
Why must you go to the pagan Philistines to find a wife? Samson jumps in and told his father, get her for me. She looks good to me. She looks good to me. Now, how many of us, when it comes to our self-discipline and the thing that we know we struggle with, with our self-discipline, that's what we're telling ourselves. That looks good to me. Now, I I don't know about you, but I got a a personal um, problem that I'd like to share with you. Uh, so, so make sure not to judge me. I have, a, uh, I have an issue when it comes to chips. Right? Now, okay, you laugh, but uh, it, it's a problem, all right? My wife thought about checking me into Chipsaholics Anonymous. And so here's the thing. When I see chips, and my youth group knows this about me because I'm always buying them chips for snacks on a Wednesday night, and they always try to tempt me to have one because here's the thing. When it comes to me eating chips, it's either zero or 10,000. That's it. There is no in-between. I don't even know if there's an in-between number when it comes to chips. But here's the thing. When I see that, oh, that bowl of chips looks good to me. That looks good to me. I don't know if they make good marriage material, but man, they look good to me. I know I should be getting up earlier, but man, this show looks good to me. I just want to watch a little bit longer, a little bit later, a little bit longer. I know I need to be saving for retirement, but man, that new car looks good to me. So Samson decides to go along with the wedding, and needless to say, it doesn't go too well. And what ends up happening is Samson ends up picking a fight with some groomsmen, essentially. And as a result of this fight, 30 people die at his wedding. Now, I did something stupid at my wedding. And in the process, I had upset my father-in-law. A couple hours before the wedding, we talk it out, we hug it out. Nobody died at my wedding. If there was a sign that you went too far, Samson, if there was a sign that maybe you should have listened to your parents, maybe you should have listened to God, maybe you should have exercised some self-control, it probably would have been when you had to murder 30 people at your wedding. Needless to say, it doesn't work out. Needless to say, it doesn't work out. So, in his rage, he takes off, he goes home, and uh, the father of the bride gives her away to the best man. We fast forward a few years, and you would think again, Samson would have at least learned his lesson. Okay, I've been told I'm not supposed to go into Philistine territory. I've been told I'm not supposed to go. I've been set apart. Why don't I exercise self-discipline? Why don't I exercise self-control? But we find him, a few years later, deep in Philistine territory. One day, Samson went to the Philistine town of Gaza. Now, just so you know, Gaza isn't like on the border. Gaza is deep into Philistine territory. It wasn't like he was dipping his toe in the water. He had traveled. He had purposefully gone into Philistine territory and spent the night with a prostitute. Word soon spread. Samson was there. So the men of Gaza gathered together and waited all night at the town gates. They kept quiet during the night, saying to themselves, when the light of morning comes, we will kill him. Samson, couldn't you have just exercised self-discipline? Samson, why did you have to go back into Philistine territory? Samson, didn't you learn your lesson after that horrible, horrible wedding experience that you went through? How is it 
that you lacked the self-control to keep from going deep into Philistine territory, and now these people see you as their enemy. These people are already trying to figure out a way to kill you. These people are already trying to figure out a way to get rid of you. When are you going to come to your senses? The Philistines see you as the enemy, Samson. Show some self-restraint. Show some temperance. But unfortunately, he doesn't. And now we get into the part of the story which a lot of us already know, a lot of us have already heard growing up. But in Judges 16, sometime later, Samson fell in love with a woman named Delilah who lived in the valley of Sorek. Now, by now, I probably don't have to tell you where Sorek is. Sorek, Philistine territory. Okay, if you were thinking, if you are wondering, that's where it's at. At least it's right on the border, but again, he crossed the line. He found the border and he found a woman that he liked who looked good to him. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, entice Samson to tell you what makes him so strong and how he keeps defeating us and how he keeps overpowering us and how he gets his strength and how he can be overpowered and tied up securely. Then each of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Now, if you know the story, if you don't know the story, ultimately, Delilah follows through. And the story is kind of hilarious because ultimately Samson messes with her a little bit because one night Delilah is lulling him to sleep. Maybe he's uh, lying his head in her lap, had a few drinks, and he goes, Samson, uh, tell me what makes you so strong. And he takes it as an opportunity to mess with her a little bit. And he lies to her the first time around, and he says, well, this is what makes me so strong. So she goes to tell the Philistines. They break in. They try to do that one thing. And of course, Samson was lying, so he breaks free, handles business, takes them all out. And then Delilah gets mad at him, which is amazing to think that you just try to have us killed, and all of a sudden, ladies, now you're mad at us. Somehow we did something wrong. But anyway, Delilah follows through. She follows suit. And here is where we find Samson. Samson, who was set apart by God. Samson, who was given incredible strength. Samson, who had a special calling on his life, just like us as individuals. Here's where we ultimately find Samson as a result of his lack of self-control. Verse number 21, so the Philistines captured him, gouged out his eyes. They took him to Gaza, where he was bound with bronze chains and forced to grind grain in prison. He was bound with bronze chains. Here's what I want you to know about self-discipline. A lack of self-discipline handcuffs us to our mistakes. A lack of self-discipline handcuffs us to our mistakes. This is why it's so important for us to acquire self-discipline, because if we don't end up disciplining ourselves when it's necessary, eventually sin is going to discipline us. If we don't discipline ourselves and have self-control when it's necessary, eventually heartache is going to discipline us. If we don't discipline ourselves or have some kind of self-control, eventually God might have to step in and discipline us. A lack of self-discipline handcuffs us to our mistakes. The Proverbs say it like this, a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. How many of you ever seen the movie Troy? Brad Pitt, shirt off, ripped, the whole, yeah, ladies, you, you watch two, three times, okay. So if you've seen that movie, you know, or if you've taken a history class, you know that walls were the ancient defense system, that if you had high enough walls, it was almost impossible for intruders to enter your city. 
Now, if your walls were broken down or if there's any kind of hole in the wall or, or, or something that they could get through, you invited intruders to come take over your city. And it's the same way when it comes to self-discipline. When we lack self-discipline, we are ultimately inviting heartache to come into our lives. But here's the thing. The opposite is also true. Self-discipline maximizes our potential. It makes the most of what God has given us. And you see, just like Samson, all of you have been given something at the beginning of this life. You've been given a dream. You've been given a purpose. You've been given something that you want to accomplish. And you have the opportunity to not make the same mistakes Samson made. You have the opportunity to make the most of what God has given you. You have the opportunity to maximize what God has given you to make the most impact in this world. There's a study I want to share with you. It was done um, at Stanford in the late 60s, uh, early 70s. And basically the study went like this, and the marshmallows are about to make sense now. What they did was they took a bunch of kids... And they put them in a room, and they sat them down. When they sat them down, they gave them a marshmallow, and they said this to the kids. If you can wait and not eat this marshmallow before I come back, when I come back, I'll give you two. Now, how many of you know kids have limited self-control? Kids have limited self-discipline. Before I tell you more about the study, I actually want to show you uh, somebody who actually did the study. Okay, how many of you ate your marshmallow again? How many still have it? You guys still have it? What they found 
later on in the original experiment is they followed these kids after this experiment was done. And what was interesting was the kids who chose to wait, they found that they did better in school, had higher test scores. They even went as far as to show that they actually had better marriages later in life. Unfortunately, all the kids who chose to eat the marshmallow, did you see that one girl? She didn't wait. The lady, lady didn't even leave the room yet. She's talking, putting her mouth. Unfortunately, these kids ended up in a situation where they didn't do as well at the end of the day as the kids who waited. So my challenge to you is this. In life, when it comes to life, don't eat the marshmallow. Let's exercise some self-discipline because self-discipline makes the most of what God has given us in our lives, when it comes to our spiritual self-discipline, spiritual self-discipline solidifies our relationship with God. You see, practicing spiritual self-disciplines, practicing the disciplines that we know we should be practicing, draws us closer to God. It makes us more aware of his presence. And when things in life happen, those things that want to knock us off track, when those things happen, we are that much stronger because we're that much closer to God. There was a TED Talk that I watched recently. I thought it was fascinating. It was titled, How to Live Past 100. And what they did was they took what they called blue zones all over the world. And these blue zones were areas of the world where they had really high concentrations of elderly people, people who lived beyond 90s and 100 years old. And the reason I bring this study up is what I found fascinating is one of the common denominators amongst all these people, and they went all over the world to find these blue zones, to find these people who lived in their uh, 90s and were even active uh, past 100 years old. What they found was three of the common denominators were spiritual disciplines. They were praying, fasting, and community. These are all things that we want to be participating, not only to solidify our relationship with God, but to draw us closer to God. Self-discipline and our health preserves our bodies. This takes what we've been given and the health that we have been given, and it makes it, makes it last. Imagine being able, imagine being able to see a whole nother generation of your family simply because you chose to take care of yourself now. Imagine denying yourself when it is appropriate. And I'm not saying that you can't ever go off the wagon. Trust me, I went off the wagon. It was my wife's birthday. You guys know what I had over the weekend? I had something called the kitchen sink. Have you ever heard of this thing before? So those of you who heard it, you're judging me right now. For those of you who have heard it, all right? It is, it was featured on Man Versus Food. It is a Sunday that they literally bring out to you in a sink. It's got like eight scoops of ice cream eight toppings, three bananas, cherries. It's nuts. It took six of us to finish this thing, and I was hurting afterwards, all right? But here's the thing. I'm not saying that you can't ever go off. I'm not saying that you can't ever enjoy food, but how many of us can afford to say no just a little bit more often? How many of us can afford to say no to those things at least throughout the week so we can wait till the weekend to enjoy them? Self-discipline when it comes to our bodies, doing the things we know we should be doing even when we don't feel like doing them. And that was my whole world for a long time. I understand. I get it. It's hard to get out of bed sometimes and go get the workout in. It's hard when you've had a long day and you come home and you sit on the couch and you just do not feel like getting back up to even go for a walk or for a run or go to the gym. I know, I know it's difficult. But when we recognize that it preserves our bodies, it at least should be that much more motivation to get up 
and do something. Self-discipline and our money maximizes our resources. How many of you know money is an incredibly powerful tool? Money is a powerful tool to change the world right in front of us. We are going to Kids Against Hunger on Saturday. All of us are bringing a $20 donation. That 20 bucks is going to change somebody's life. Imagine making financial decisions where you are constantly able to change people's lives. Imagine saying no to yourself for just a second, to something we probably at the end of the day don't really need in order to have an impact on somebody else's life. This one ranged true for me. Imagine being in a situation where you get to change your family tree. Because instead of going for the new car lease, instead of going for the thing that at the end of the day we know we really didn't need, we started saving up for retirement and we're able to leave our grandchildren an inheritance. I have conversations with people all the time, and I hear about those situations where their parents or their grandparents set aside money specifically for them, and I think, gosh, that's amazing. Because as odd as it sounds, I know in my family, that just wasn't a thing that you did. I mean, to, 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 for me, it, it was more normal for the kids to be taking care of the parents. That, that was my world. That was my situation. Anybody else in that, in that situation? You're, you're, you're that in-between generation where you got kids you got to take care of, and you got parents you got to take care of? Imagine being the one in your family gets, that gets to break that tradition. Imagine being the one in your family that gets to set your future kids, your future grandkids, and your future great-grandkids up for success because you made the disciplined financial decisions that you needed to make. Self-discipline in our work lives enhances our influence. Listen, when you are the first to show up or when you're early and when you're the last to leave, And when you come through with your projects, even if you're not a likable person, the boss is probably going to promote you. You have influence in that world because of the self-disciplined decisions that you have made, because of the temperance you have shown, because of the self-control you have shown between your personal life and into your work life. Imagine the influence you could have with your boss simply by constantly following through with the things that you say, simply by following through with the work that you need to get done. Imagine the impact we could make as Christ followers with an extra 10 to 30 years on our life simply because we're taking care of ourselves, simply because we're moving a little bit more, simply because we're making better food choices. Imagine how many people, how many more people can hear the gospel because you have those extra years on your life. Imagine the influence that you can have in the workplace when you are the one who shows up on time when you are the one that follows through with your work, when you are the one who says you're going to do a project and then you actually follow through. Imagine all those that you'll be able to bless because you're saying no to the poor financial decisions now so that you can set yourself up for success in the future. Imagine how many lives we could change when we start exercising self-discipline. Self-discipline people do what they know they should be doing even when they don't feel like doing it because they are living for something more than themselves. And that's why we don't eat the marshmallow. Let me go ahead and pray for you guys. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your instruction on self-discipline. God, when we look at your word, we constantly see um, instruction 
on exercising self-control, exercising temperance, exercising self-discipline. But God, this is way more easier said than done. And in those moments in our life where it makes the most impact, remind us of why we're exercising self-discipline. Because it's hard. It's hard to say no to the chips. It's hard to say no to the new car lease. It's hard to say no to wanting to be with that person because he or she looks good to me. But God, ultimately, you're not trying to keep us from anything. You're not trying to keep us from having fun. You're not trying to keep us from enjoying life. You are helping us make the most of what we are given. You are protecting us from handcuffing ourselves to our mistake. And you are setting us up to make the most impact in this world. Help us to remember that when it's so difficult to say no to ourselves, Lord. Remind us that you are there nudging us towards self-discipline. Remind us that you are there nudging us towards the right decision. And help us, God, when it's difficult. Help us to exercise the discipline, the control, the temperance that we need so that we can make the most impact in this world. That is our prayer in Jesus' name. And we all said amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much for your attention this morning. I really appreciate it. Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.